Okay, let me uh, let me go ahead and pass out these study sheets for next week. Um, <coughs> hey, long time no see. Welcome home. <laughs> oh. <laughs> there you go. Uh, we'll see how far we actually uh, get today. Uh, so, uh, but I do hope to uh, finish the. Uh, Uh, finish the chapter today uh, that we're looking at we'll see whether or not we actually manage to accomplish that because we are doing a, a short session we're going to get out of here uh, early today so that uh, so that we can uh, we can go to this baptism I believe that's uh, I guess in the sanctuary obviously huh? and uh, so uh, this is a couple that's uh, special to several people here in the class, and they have quite a testimony. And uh, so Karen asked if we'd be interested in in uh, going to the baptism, and, and we decided that was a good idea. So uh, we'll have a bit of a short lesson today. And uh, next week, uh, assuming that we get done everything that we've that I hope to get done today, next week, we'll go on in, uh, into the next, uh, next chapter, which is chapter 24, and uh, we'll begin to look at the story of uh, securing a bride for Isaac. That chapter 24 is, uh, is to me, a very... Uh, uh, it's just a rich passage. When we started the book of Genesis, there were... I love Genesis, as you know, and I love all of Genesis... But there are some parts of Genesis that uh, that I really, really like, and chapter 24 is one of them. It's a quite a lengthy chapter and quite a story. Uh, but uh, so I've been looking forward to getting to that chapter, and hopefully we'll do that next week. But today we're uh, we are still in chapter 23, and actually we just barely got started in chapter 23 last week. Um, we looked at the end of chapter 22. And uh, and then we just began to look at the first couple of verses or so of chapter 23 uh, last week. So uh, before we read uh, chapter 23, uh, let's just take a moment. Like I say, we don't have a lot of time today, but let's just take a moment. And what do you recall we talked about last week? Everybody gives me a blank stare. <laughs> you always have a blank stare. Okay, okay. We did talk about uh, Sarah's death. Uh, how old was she when she died? 127 years of age. Okay, so she had a rich, long life. We talked about her life. We talked about her life of faith. And, uh, and then we talked, too, about just the fact that here she is, this great woman of faith, this great example uh, to us. And yet the curse of death comes upon all men because all have sinned. And Sarah, as uh, great as a woman as she was, was still uh, still a sinner like you and I. And she needs a Savior like you and I need a Savior. So, what else did we talk about? Abraham separated his family 
Okay. So he heard about uh, he heard about his brother and his brother's family, Nahor, uh, and uh, and the children that he had had and their descendants. And um, this will come into play next week when we get into chapter 24. Uh, but it mentions, of course, specifically Rebecca, who will be the woman who eventually marries uh, Isaac. And we talked a little bit about that. Okay. 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 He got a well, and today he's going to buy a piece of land to bury his wife. Yeah, and that's all he'll ever get, isn't it? Uh, because the rest of it is all something that's uh, something that's simply promised to him, and that's all he has. Okay. Well, let's pick it up, and then we'll just read all of chapter 23, and uh, and then I just want to look at at. Uh, Two or three key things from the chapter in the in the little bit of time that we have today. So he says, "Now Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Then Abraham rose from before his dead and spoke to the sons of Heth, saying, "I am a stranger and a sojourner among you." Give me a burial site among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The sons of Heth answered Abraham, saying to him, Hear us, my Lord. You are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our graves. None of us will refuse you his grave for burying your dead. So Abraham rose and bowed to the people of the land, the sons of Heth. And he spoke with them, saying, If this is your wish for me to bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and approach Ephraim, the son of Zohar, for me, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he he owns, which is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence for a burial site. Now Ephraim was sitting among the sons of Heth, and Ephraim the Hethite answered Abraham in the hearing of the sons of Heth, even of all those who went in at the gate of his city, saying, No, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. In the presence of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. And Abraham bowed before the people of the land. He spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, saying, If you will only please listen to me, I will give the price of the field accept it from me that I may bury my dead there. Then Ephraim answered Abraham, saying to him, My Lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver? What is that between me and you? So bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephraim, and Abraham weighed out for Ephraim the silver which he had named in the hearing of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, commercial standard. So Ephraim's field, which was in Machpelah, which uh, faced Mamre, the field and the cave which was in it, and all the trees that were in the field that were within the confines of its border were deeded over to Abraham for a possession in the presence of the sons of Heth before all who went in at the gate of the city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field at Machpelah, facing Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave that is in it 
were deeded over to Abraham for a burial site by the sons of Heth. Okay? <clears throat> the question is, what's going on here? Okay? It's, uh, it really is kind of interesting. We come to this part of the story and, uh, and we have the death of Sarah and that's obviously a turning point in the life of Abraham, a very significant turning point in the life of Abraham. But her death is simply mentioned here at the beginning of the chapter and then we have one verse uh, about uh, actually less than, uh, less than a verse uh, about Abraham's mourning for Sarah and then the entire rest of the chapter is spent talking about what? A land deal. A land deal, okay. Negotiations for a piece of land, okay. And so obviously the point of the narrative is not so much about deaths of the death of Sarah and the point of the narrative is not so much even about Abraham's mourning for Sarah as it is about this transaction that takes place between uh, Abraham and as the New American says here the sons of Heth some of your translations may see say uh, the Hittites here uh, the Hittites uh, there are actually uh, more than one group of Hittites that are referred to in scripture and the Hittites that, are, that we encounter later in uh, uh, in the Old Testament are actually a different group of people and they're up in a different part uh, a different part of that area of the world. So these are uh, different Hittites. But, uh, but Abraham uh, enters into this negotiation. So he's, what he's doing is, of course, is he's seeking to acquire a burial site for Sarah. Why does he have to do that? He has no land. Okay, he has nothing. Okay, yeah, that's right. He does have Beersheba, but it is interesting uh, that uh, the well at Beersheba, he doesn't actually have a title deed to that. Okay, he has a, he has a covenant agreement with Abimelech that agrees that, that he dug the well. Okay, so he has the rights to the well. So, so basically the two of them agree that that's, that that's his land, but he doesn't have a deed to it, as we'll see he actually acquires in this case. Okay. Yeah, yeah, really. yeah, really. Okay. Uh, so, but but he really doesn't have a place that's suitable to bury his wife. Okay. So he needs a place. What he's trying to do is he's trying to acquire a piece of land that he has evidence that he has proof that he can hold it in perpetuity forever. Okay. And so that's what he wants to achieve. He wants to achieve the acquisition of a piece of land that he can hold in perpetuity. All right. And uh, and so he goes to the sons of Heth and he asks them uh, for a land. He, he asks them actually the way it's worded here. It says he asks them to give him land, but it becomes clear that he doesn't want a gift. He actually wants to purchase the land. He wants to pay for the land. And there's a reason for that. Okay. But the sons of Heth respond and they say, listen, you take any grave you want. You just go bury your wife in any grave you want. None of us will withhold his grave. Now, that sounds like a very generous offer, but it's not what Abraham wants. Okay. Basically, they are offering to him a gift or a loan. Okay. Now, uh, you know, if you ask me, loaning somebody a grave is not really a good idea, okay? Because you think of that as rather a permanent arrangement. But that's basically what they're doing, okay? And there's a reason why they're doing that. Because within the culture, it really was very unusual, almost prohibited, to sell land to a foreigner, 
Okay, you just didn't do that. Okay, you'd sell land to people who were of your own uh, your own clan or your own tribe, uh, people who were of your land, but you didn't sell land to a foreigner. That's why it's significant when Abraham first approaches him, he puts it out on the table very clear before him. I'm a stranger. I'm a sojourner in the land, but this is what I want. So Abraham is really asking for something unusual. They don't really offer to sell him land. They just say, you just pick the place and bury your wife there and that'll be all right with us. Okay, but that's not all right with 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 uh, with Abraham. Abraham wants to secure some deeded property that he can own in perpetuity to bury his wife. Okay? Well, so he makes it very clear. I want to buy this land and I want to buy it at full price. Uh, and, then he, uh, and then they say, okay, uh, what do you want? And he says, well, I want you to go to Ephraim, the son of Zohar, and I want you to approach him in regard to this particular piece of property. So he actually already had a piece of property in mind that he wanted to secure. And he asked the, he asked the, uh, uh, the Hittites to go to this individual and, and to ask him. And so it's, it's a little bit ambiguous here as to whether or not Ephraim was originally here, or whether they got up and they went. The negotiations began in one place. And then they all got up and they went over to, to Ephron's city and approached Ephron there. Uh, uh, but be that neither here nor there, Ephron then responds in the same way that the Hittites originally did. Sure, I'll give you a piece of land. And Abraham says, no, I, uh, I don't want you to give me a piece of land. I want to buy it at full price. Okay. And then Ephron responds by saying, okay. And, and of course, they know the piece of land they're talking about. And Ephron responds and he says, okay, he says, a piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and I? He's actually, what he's doing is he's naming the price, but he's trying to make it sound like it really isn't a lot of money. Okay. Uh, you know, it's uh, kind of like, uh, <clears throat> you know, you go, you, you go to buy a car, you know, and, and, uh, and the salesman, he names a price and he's trying to, oh, it's just, you know, this is a, this is a bargain. This is a deal. Well, that's what, the, what he's doing here. He's saying this is really a good deal. Abraham doesn't bat an eye. He pays the price. Now, there's a lot of discussion uh, as to whether or not uh, the price was exorbitant or the price was, uh, was a fair price for the piece of land. There's really no way for us to tell at this point. Uh, now, looking back, uh, historically, there's no way for us to be able to discern uh, whether or not uh, the price that, that Ephron was asking was reasonable or not. Some people think it was unreasonable. Other people think it was reasonable. But we really can't tell for sure. Okay. <laughs> Could have been a real estate bubble. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Now, one of the things that's interesting as we read through the passage, you'll notice that, that as we're reading through this narrative here, the narrative is different in certain ways from uh, other narratives that we've read in Genesis. And the reason for that is because what's going on here is, is, is what's being recorded is, is basically an oral contract. Okay? We're in a culture in which uh, you, you, don't, you, know, you don't have a lot of written documents, that sort of thing. So you would have these oral contracts that people would enter into. And, and so basically the, 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 the contract, the written contract part of it, would simply be a record of the of the discussion that went on, the negotiations that went on. So that's what we have here. We actually have here basically an oral contract 
that's being entered into between Abraham and the Hittites and particularly between Abraham and, and uh, Ephron. And, and you pick that up by several things. You'll notice how many times in the passage, uh, seven or eight times, the, the phrase, hear me or listen to me, is used. Okay? That's, that's, uh, that's actually for, uh, formulaic. That's part of the formula of an oral contract. That continually rep- continual repetition of hear me or listen to me. Uh, that type of thing. Also, you'll notice over and over again it's repeated that this was done in the presence of such and such people or at the gate where everybody was or he talks about him bowing before all the people. That's all part of the formula of this of this uh, oral contract that they're entering into. Okay. So you think there was a written... Yeah, so eventually he somehow gets some kind of written document apparently or written evidence that he owns this piece of land. Okay. Now, the, the significance of all of this is that something really unusual is going on here. And what's unusual that's going on is we have a foreigner or a stranger is securing deeded property in the land of Canaan. Okay. And, and, and Abraham is bent on securing this land. And this is the focus of the passage that Abraham has managed to accomplish that. So there, just simply, there are kind of three key things that 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 jump out to me as I look at this story and as I study the story. And I just want to bring those out, and then we'll then then we'll wrap it up for today. But the first thing is that very clearly the the point that the narrative of Genesis is trying to Moses is trying to communicate to us. In Abraham securing this land is the issue of Abraham's faith. Okay. He, has, he has just now encountered the death of his wife. And even yet, in the, in the face of the death of his wife, we see Abraham's faith. As we talked about last week, he doesn't take his wife back to Haran to bury her there. He wants to bury her here. He doesn't want to bury her in a lone grave or a gifted grave. He wants to bury her in a piece of land to which he has the deed. Why does he want to do that? Okay, that's where he's going to wind up, but he's eventually going to die. So, so he obviously wants to do it not only for his sake, but he wants to do it for his descendants' sake. He wants to do it for... Isaac's sake. He wants to do it for the sake of Isaac's children and, and, and ultimately for his descendants. So, so he, wants, he wants this piece of land because he knows he's not going to live forever. He knows he's not, he, in fact, he has word from God that, that he's not, they're not even going to get the land during his lifetime. God's already told him that back in chapter 17. God said, okay, we're not going to do it. Or chapter 15, God said, I'm not going to do it in your lifetime. But 400 years are going to pass and then it's going to happen. Okay. So what, so what we see in Abraham's determination to not simply receive a gift of land or even a loan of land, but to actually secure a deeded piece of land, what we see is Abraham's rock-solid faith in the promise of God. That even though in his immediate lifetime and even in the near future, even after he's dead, that there's that this land is not going to belong to his descendants, that sometime way off distant in the future, 400 years from now, 
his descendants are going to come back into this land and he wants, when they come back in this land, he wants them to have right there a grave that they can identify, a place they can identify where his wife. And ultimately then he and Jacob and Leah and uh, Rebecca are all, all buried in the same place where they are buried. So he wants a memorial for future generations because he has this rock-solid confidence in the promise of God. Okay. The other thing that sticks out to me in this passage is uh, we'll find out next week when we get chapter 24, we'll find out what Abraham really thinks about the Hittites. Because when it comes to a question of whom Isaac is going to marry, what does Abraham stipulate? No way. No way. Nobody from this part of the country. And, and as he talks to, uh, to his servant, who I believe at that point is Eliezer, and we'll talk about that next week, as he talks to Eliezer and he sends him off to find a wife, he says, do not, he makes him swear that he will not take a wife from among the, the people of the land, which would include the Hittites here. So he really doesn't think very highly of the Hittites morally. In other words, Abraham is living in a pagan culture. He's living in a pagan society. And yet it's interesting to watch this whole interaction, even though this is really a record of a formal negotiation. So there's a lot of formality in this chapter as we read it. One of the things that comes out to us as we read it is that even though Abraham is living among and dealing with people who are pagan and people whom he doesn't really respect, spiritually speaking, you'll notice how gracious he is. You notice how respectful he is. Okay? You'll notice how he, uh, his, his whole demeanor and his whole behavior with them uh, is, is, is one of honor and respect and uh, consideration and even of humility. He puts himself really in a position inferior to them. He says, I'm just a stranger and alien here and you people, you own this land. And so this is the, this is the respect and the, admir- uh, the uh, attitude that we see with Abraham. Reciprocally, what do we see? My Lord, you're a mighty prince Okay. They feel the same way about Abraham. They respect him. They honor him. Actually, that, that phrase there is translated in New American, you are, you are a mighty prince. The word mighty there is the word Elohim, which is why some translations say you are a prince of God. Okay. Uh, because as we said when we started Genesis, we, as we looked at that name Elohim, we saw that it is a name that can, it's a word that can mean either a mighty person or a powerful person. Uh, but of course, in the uh, Old Testament, primarily it's used uh, as a reference to God Himself. Okay. So, uh, so, at any rate, they have this great respect for Abraham. And so, one of the things that stands out about Abraham in this passage, as we look at it, to me, is that Abraham is kind of the epitome of the principle of being in the world, but not being of the world. So here you have a guy who's in the world, he's functioning in the world, and he functions well in the world. But he's not of the world. He doesn't want his son marrying in this context. He has these, and we saw the same principle when he encountered the king from Sodom who wanted to give him a bunch of things. He says, no, I don't want you, I don't want to be made by you. I want to be made by God. Okay? And, and so we see in the life of Abraham, we see a guy who functions well within the world. And because he does so, he has the respect 
of the people around him. But he doesn't sell out. And he doesn't become part of the world that he's in. So he lives as an alien and a stranger his entire life in the land of promise. And the last thing that stands out to me here in this passage is that Abraham has secured a place that will serve as a memorial. Okay? He wants he wants a place to honor his wife, to bury his wife where she will be honored. And it looks like, you know, as you read the description, it looks like it's a a nice place. He's, he's, you know, and he's willing to spend a good deal of money uh, to secure this place to honor his wife. But he wants her to be remembered. He not only wants to remember her, but he wants subsequent generations to remember her. And what we see here is the importance of memory and remembering to the issue of faith. That Abraham realizes that in order for future generations to have confidence in the promise of God, they need to be able to remember what God has done in the past. And so he wants a memorial, a grave where he can place his wife that will cause future generations, Isaac and Isaac's children and then subsequent generations to look back and to remember the patriarchs, to remember Abraham, to remember Sarah, to remember the other patriarchs, to remember what God did in their lives and to remember the promises of God. And so we see here a principle that then is carried out throughout all of Scripture. We see how oftentimes God stresses to us, to the children of Israel, this issue of remembering, remembering, remembering. You remember this? God says, you remember this? You remember this? You remember this? Over and over and over again, God is telling the children of Israel, you remember, you remember, you remember. And the reason is because in remembering the past, we are equipped to have confidence in the promise of God for the future. Okay? Well, that's all we have time for today. We'll go to the baptism. uh, And next week, we'll pick it up in chapter 24 in the and seeking a wife for Isaac.